Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Well, good morning, Brazos Valley and Central Texas and Palestine, Texas. This is your fill-in host, Thaddeus Romanski, for Red Sea Roundup, coming at you on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM up there in Central Texas, and KINF 107.9 there in in the Holy Land of Texas, Palestine. You can call in in the first part of the show, 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 855-683-7332, if you would like to be a part of the show today. Tumultuous times in which we're living, we're going to give you a little respite from all that, help you uh, look back at the beauty that was Pentecost this past weekend um, in light of the coronavirus lockdowns and prohibitions on gathering of the entry into the church at Easter Vigil of catechumens and uh, candidates was delayed until um, the Vigil of Pentecost, and that was this last weekend. And we had some of those services, not not everywhere in every parish, but uh, in many parishes in our listening area, and that happened. I know here in uh, Bryan College Station area that took place at uh, St. Mary's Catholic Center and at St. Joseph's. And uh, St. Anthony's. Uh, St. Anthony's. We had a member of our Red Sea family uh, that came into the church. Uh, our wonderful administrative assistant, Caitlin, her mother came into the church over the, the Pentecost weekend. So that was beautiful. Um, had some had some fun in my family celebrating Pentecost. Um, we... Uh, Oh, it looks like we have a caller, Dennis. Or is that just, uh, that's just Robin. Yeah, that's right. I've got Robin Waters on the phone. Robin, sorry I left you hanging there, man. That's okay. Good to be here, uh, Dennis and Thaddeus. Say hi to everybody. Our, our, hey, everybody. How you doing today? Our station director up there in Central Texas, Robin Waters. Yeah, so I was getting ready to say that um, over, over Pentecost, we had some fun celebrating it in my family. We made um, we made a fruit salad uh, for the gifts of the fruit for the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and we made a birthday cake for the church. Um, and um, had some had some real fun with that. I uh, had always been wanting to. Think of a good way to remember the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and what I finally came up with over the uh, the weekend was being a being a historian. I went and took the uh, put the presidents of the United States in order and used them as a way to remember the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Washington is wisdom, Ulysses S. Grant, understanding. Coolidge, counsel, Kennedy, knowledge, James K. Polk, piety, Ford for 
fortitude. <laughs> and Millard Fillmore, fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not recommending this for everyone out there because, <laughs> you know, you got to do what works for you. But it was a it was a good way for me to finally get some kind of mnemonic device to remember those gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I talked about the fruit salad that we made in my house, and I think we've got some callers that are going to tell us about that real quick. Hello, callers. Hello. We celebrated Pentecost at our house, and we had a lot of fun. Here are some of the things that we did. <laughs> this is my son, Michael. Say hello, Michael. Birthday cake for to represent the Mary and the 11 apostles with candles. And Mary had the one golden candle, and when we lit the 12 candles, it represented the tongues of fire. And that was Matthew, six and we years old. Happy birthday to the church. We also made a fruit salad with nine fruits that represented nine fruits of the nine of the fruits of the spirit. We also have a song to remember it. Here's how it goes: Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Woohoo! Good job, y'all. That was Anna Claire. Happy birthday of Pentecost. <laughs> That's Andrew, three years old. Thank y'all. Okay. And that's my lovely wife, Robin. Age to remain undisclosed. Okay. Have a great day, everybody. All right. Bye, babe. Love Thank you. you. Bye. Yeah, so we we had a lot of fun celebrating the, the Pentecost, and we're, we're trying to uh, kind of keep keep the Pente- the octave of Pentecost that was on the old calendar uh, going in my family this week with some additional treats and celebrations and fun things. Keeping so, the Easter joy alive exactly. beyond for, for the a little Easter bit longer, season. For a little bit longer, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. Robin— um, my Robin, as we call him. Uh, <laughs> so Thaddeus has his Robin, and I have my Robin. My Robin is in Waco. And you were mentioning that St. Jerome had um, their RCIA candidates come in. They sure did. And uh, I know they had a good crowd. And I was talking to uh, Christine Moore, the DRE over there, and she mm-hmm. was saying that they were actually having an overflow uh, out into the parking lot, into their hall, or uh, really needing to open things up more because of the, the good crowds they're having, especially for Pentecost. That's great. I'm glad they, they are having good responses and people are, are flowing back into the masses as well as the, the overflow. They have a nice Paris Hall there at St. Jerome's. And uh, I wanted to go to that St. Jerome's uh, Feast of Pentecost Mass, but I wasn't able to make that because I was needed at St. Anthony's as our family was serving at the Vigil of Pentecost uh, on this past Saturday, and um, I was glad to be there because one of the candidates there after Mass had mentioned that uh, he felt like his heart, <clears throat> excuse me, was burning within him and, and was just kind of overflowing within him. And so it's neat to see that go in person, isn't it? Oh, it's unbelievable to, to see that and to hear that from someone just just coming into the fullness of the church yeah. of faith. It's something I think that each of us possibly take for granted. And, and if we've been away from Mass for a while, 
we feel that upon our return to Mass. And so I want us to all keep that feeling fresh. And one person in particular, two people actually, um, that are near and dear to my heart uh, is uh, Karen and her husband, Reggie, who came into the faith at St. Jerome's in Waco. And um, if you've heard me give a testimony before, Karen has been uh, a gold mine of testimony for Red Sea Catholic Radio because that's where she first learned about the Catholic faith was by listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio. And so she has been giving us through the years some incredible testimonies. Thanks be to God for Karen and her family and um, her husband, who are now Catholic. And she wrote me after this past Saturday, praise the Lord. I am a Catholic. Reggie too. God is so good. Thank you for your ministry with Red Sea Radio. God reached out through it to bring us the truth. We are so happy. Blessings, Karen. And so I give thanks to you, um, Karen, for that email. And I give thanks to God for everything he's been able to do through Red Sea Catholic Radio in all of our listening areas. And that's just a sample of the taste of of how God is using a, a humble ministry like ours in Red Sea Catholic Radio to do big things. And so we give thanks to God for that. Yeah, we sure do. It's been a wonderful ride to to be a part of, of Red Sea from uh, 2016. I've, I've certainly enjoyed it, and I've got to see so many different uh, ways that the radio has made a difference in people's lives. It, it's really refreshing. It gives our work a lot of meaning. And, uh, boy, it's nice to be back in the studio with you today, Dennis. Look at you and, and be behind this mic yeah, physically. Very nice to have you back in. It's it's our first time that all three of us have been back in the office uh, starting today after a long hiatus of, of kind of working separately from home and having an occasional meeting here and there and our team meetings over the phone. Uh, we do miss seeing Robin Waters in person, but uh, man, he's doing great work there in Waco. So Robin, thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I, you know, I was just thinking when you were reading that, that message from our, from our friend there, that uh, just to encourage anyone who has come into the church or or knows someone to uh, to contact us or go onto our website redseacatholicradio.org and uh, and let us know you know your mm-hmm. the blessings you've received and how you feel since you've uh, since you've come into the faith. You know, it's an easier way to, if you can't sit down and write it. Go to our app, and if you go through the click on the three dots on your app, and it'll go to a, an additional section of things that you can do. If you click on shout out right there from your phone, you can actually leave us a message that we could put on the air at a later date. So our apps in Waco and in the Bryan College Station area have a shout out feature. And so click on those three dots on your app and you can actually give us a shout out. And we'd love to put your voice on the air sometime. For sure. Would be great. We've got about four minutes left in this first part of the show. I would... I wouldn't want to forget to mention our saint of the day, and that is St. Charles Luanga. He and 22 companions um, were martyred in Uganda in 1886. Uh, St. Charles was um, a member of the tribe of the Babandans there in Uganda in sub-Saharan Africa. He was taught the faith. He became a a young leader amongst his people. He brought many other young men to the Catholic faith, uh, baptized them, um, 
And he was especially uh, focused on helping these younger men remain chaste and pure uh, against the immoral practices of the court of the king there in his kingdom. And it was that king, Mwanga, who eventually uh, grew tired of tolerating the Catholics in his kingdom. And he sentenced Charles and these 22 young men to death. He uh, had them burned, and that took place, again, like I said, in 1886. So he's a, he's a modern-day martyr and saint of the church. There are uh, pictures of St. Charles uh, that you can find on the Internet. Pope What's Paul his last the, name? Uh, Luanga. L W A N G A is how it's it's rendered in in English, uh, but you can find pictures of him and his companions, and he was canonized by Pope Saint Paul the Sixth on June twenty second, nineteen sixty four. So we ask Saint Charles and his companions to pray for us, especially for us when we're having um any of us are having challenges to living a chaste and pure life in thought in action uh, st charles pray for us amen and we have a real treat for you amen. coming up in the second part of the show it's a pre-recorded interview that i uh, got to do um filling in for deacon mike Beauvais, uh doing it with uh father <clears throat> sebastian walsh of the norbertine Fathers at St. Michael's Abbey in Orange, California. It was a real treat for me because I have a childhood friend, high school and college friend, who is a member of that community, Father Ambrose Christ. And this is one of his confrères. And I love talking to Father Sebastian about his new book out with Catholic Answers Press. It's called Treasures from Heaven, where he uh, takes us through a close study of some of the parables of our Lord and also some of the dialogues, such as the conversation with the woman at the well, the uh, woman caught in adultery, for example, um, Jairus and his daughter, and helps us how to um, look closer at more of the the details, some of the particular words that were used, some of the um, parallels, coincidences, things that were not said uh, that should have been said, little little details that help you get more out of those very familiar stories. So it's going to be some... Education by Father Sebastian for all of us to listen. So I hope you tune into that and uh, have a great day. Keep praying and keep us in your prayers, and we're praying for you. We'll see you on the other side. This is Red Sea Roundup on Red Sea Catholic Radio. Well, welcome back to the show. This is Dr. Thaddeus Romanski, director of Red Sea Catholic Radio, and I am sitting in for Deacon Mike Beauvais today on Red Sea Roundup. A reminder that what you're listening to has been pre-recorded, thus I am unable to take any of your phone calls. But like I mentioned at the top of the show, I have with me today Father Sebastian Walsh, a Norbertine priest who resides in the flourishing community of St. Michael's Abbey in Orange, California. Good afternoon, Father Walsh, and thank you for coming on Red Sea Catholic Radio. Oh, my pleasure, Thaddeus. Good to, ha- good to be here. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, so we're going to be talking with you about your new book out with Catholic Answers Press titled Secrets from Heaven, Hidden Treasures of Faith in the Parables and Conversations of Jesus. Before we do that, I was struck by the mention in your introduction of your book that you grew up in a Jewish family. Is that fair to say that? Talk about how that shaped your love of Scripture. Sure. Yeah. The, um, in fact, what happened was my, my mother was Jewish. She was practicing uh, her faith. My father was a non-practicing Catholic, and um, he was, you know, very open to my mom sort of raising us Jewish and everything like that because he 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 wasn't practicing his own Catholic faith. Mm. And um, and so my brother and I, we used to go to the synagogue, we went to temple, you know, we had, you know, this little um, school that we went to and everything like that. So we were raised Jewish until I was about eight. Mm. And my mom had a very remarkable experience by which she converted, and she ended up being baptized, and she was baptized in the Lutheran Church. So my brother and I were then baptized in the Lutheran Church, and then... Um, Later on, when I was about 13, I started reading um, some books on the shelf in my in my grandmother's house, my father's mother's house. Okay. Uh, and and based on those books, they're kind of apologetic books about the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. And based upon that reading, I started to realize, gosh, I think the Catholic Church is really the, you know, the authentic church founded by Jesus. And when I was about 13, I became a Catholic on my own. Really. Okay, so now how how has that played out with your just a little detour here? How did that play out with your your parents? Did your parents come along behind you? Did your father re- take yeah, up his faith again? Yeah, my father started practicing the faith eventually. My mom was was a devout Lutheran. She passed away when I was only ten years old. Mm. Uh, she had a very rare disease of a nervous system called dystonia muscularum deformans. It's oh. uh, a lot of people who have that disease die even before they're forty. In any case. Um, so she never made it all the way back to Catholicism, but oh, I suspect, you know, maybe she would have if she'd given a little bit more time. She's a very, someone who, who had a deep faith and a love for God, and so... I'm sure you um, pray for her daily, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, yes, I do. I'm One of the great blessings of being a priest is I can say Mass for my parents, you know, every month, once a month, I yes. have a Mass, I say, for my parents. So. so your father is deceased now as well? Yeah, that's right. He died when I was in my uh, late 20s. Okay, gosh. So, so you spent a lot of years with without your your parents. Yeah, I, I I thank God that He gave me such loving parents. I really, you know, I I look back on those times, and of course I miss my parents a lot. But I I believe in the resurrection of the dead, and yes. I think of this as a kind of an extended time away. And honestly, I, you know, I have conversations with them in my prayers and things like that. So, mm. um. You know, when you have faith in the resurrection and you're a firmly believing Christian, these things are not, you know, sorrows that are unbearable. They're just, um, you know, they're they're times of separation, but mm-hmm. at the same time with filled with hope mm-hmm. and a hope of a happy reunion one day. That's God right. Willing. And um, you you have found yourself, or God led you to. Uh, Another kind of a family, your religious family with uh, the Norbertines. Talk about yes. talk about your journey into the Norbertines, and although that's that's an order that's having a renaissance, uh, it's still I think unfamiliar to a lot of Catholics. So tell us a little bit about your religious family and its sure. history. Yeah, um, at some point in my mid twenties, I started thinking about a vocation to the priesthood. I was not very open to it at first. Um, there was a lot of times when I was kind of I didn't like the idea of not giving up 
you know, I didn't like the idea of giving up a family. I really wanted to have this big Catholic family with, you know, a dozen kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, which sounds great in principle, but when you actually have them, I'm sure it's, it's more work than you can imagine. It's a, it's a little bit case, of work. I think I probably picked the easier vocation from that regard. But <laughs> um, all that being said, you know, this call kept on coming back and I got to be close friends. I was doing my um, um, studies in philosophy at Catholic University. Okay. And um, I got to be close friends with a seminarian out there who's now priest for the Diocese of Raleigh, North Carolina. And through that friendship, I really, for the first time, was able to kind of honestly look and say, okay, can I, can I do this? Is the Lord really calling me to be a priest? And my only criteria were, I need to go to some place where they're orthodox, you know, faithful to magisterium, and serious about holiness. So I knew about the Abbey from through a friend, and I said, well, I'll visit that place, and it's and it fit the bill. You know, the, the priests here are really serious about holiness. They're faithful to the magisterium, and so I thought, well, I'll join them. Mm-hmm. And um, the first couple of years were very difficult for me, especially just constantly being, you know, um, you know, pulled by that desire for a family. But um, but by the time I got to the time for vows and I just made that decision, God really gave me a beautiful grace that, you know, I've been extremely happy. And I think I'm happier as a priest than I would have been as a married man, which is saying a lot. I think I would have been really happy to be a married man. But um, but if you have faith, there's no vocation like the priesthood. And we've got wonderful brothers here in our community. It really is a, a witness of fraternal charity. Um, so uh, it's a wonderful community to be in, which is a reason why I think we're where we get so many vocations and we're doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who are listening, there were, we just are in the final processes of, of um, building a new abbey. We're trying to get that all complete. And um, thanks be to God, you know, God has found people who have been generous to help us with that. It's hard to believe you can build an entire monastery for, you know, basically a hundred priests and seminarians in the modern world, but it looks, it's beautiful it looks like something from France or something like that. So think yeah. you can look at it, St. Michael's Abbey, the website there. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've I watched uh, watched one of the tours of the uh, new abbey under construction, and it is really quite impressive. And um, you know, I have a special place in my heart for the Norbertines at St. Michael's because you know my good high school and college friend is one of your confreres. So I I yeah, like fun. to keep this. Close tabs on y'all, and this is a real treat to be talking to you today. So, again, those of you Thank maybe you. just joining us, this is Red Sea Roundup. I'm sitting in for Deacon Mike Bovet, and we're talking with Father Sebastian Walsh of the Norbertines of St. Michael's Abbey in Orange, California, about his new book, Secrets from Heaven, Hidden Treasures of Faith in the Parables and Conversations of Jesus. So let, let's get into your, your book, Father. You um, you talk about—oh, I know what I wanted to ask you about. You're, y'all are canons— what are what oh, are yeah. canons as opposed to monks or friars? I knew I was forgetting something about the, oh yeah yeah so the community uh, a canon is um it, it comes from the Greek word for list a canon is a list you know that's right um and and the idea is that um we're following a list a regular prayer schedule and normally a canon would be someone who's associated with a church and his first office or his first duty is to celebrate the sacred liturgy. And at regular hours, that list of hours within that church. Okay. And so, a monk is more about, um, you know, what Saint Benedict would say, ora et labora, prayer and work. Mm-hmm. And monks, for sure, they have regular times when they come and pray, etc. But the the heart of their vocation is about personal sanctification. 
whereas the the heart of the canon's vocation is the ce- the worthy celebration of the sacred mysteries first and foremost the holy sacrifice of the mass and then of course the divine office together with that which is an extension of the mass throughout the day so for us norbertines the eucharist really is the very heart of our vocation um, those who come to our abbey, for the most part, they will be ordained to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we live out our religious vocation precisely in the context of the liturgy associated with a particular church. And that church, we actually take a vow to that church. We we have poverty, chastity, obedience, and then a vow to um, to stay and offer the sacred mysteries within that church, our abbey church, which is the church of Our Lady of the Assumption mm-hmm. at our abbey. So that's the um that's kind of the fundamental difference between say a monk and a canon. Monks are are not by their very nature celebrants of the sacred liturgy whereas canons would be. Okay. And so you do have something that that vow of stability is something you have in common with a monk, correct? Yeah, some monks have that. Uh, most monks have that. Most monks would have a vow of stability. There are uh, instances where kind of moving from one house or another of, of an order would be acceptable right, right. in some monastic situations, though traditional like Benedictine monasteries, you stay with that one abbey that you come to. So. Right, right. Okay. Okay, great. So Secrets from Heaven, Secrets from Heaven, your new, your new book. Yes. Um, and again, you can pick it up at shop.catholic.com or amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, yeah. wherever great books are sold. Uh, it's in yep. digital and paperback. I was fortunate to get a paperback review copy. Um, oh, great. Five-star reviews at Catholic Answers, folks, uh, including this one from Mary Helen. Quote, I am so glad to be reading this book. I am impressed by its depth and spot-on clarity in describing how and why Jesus said and did the things he did. Reading this book opened a whole new dimension of understanding for me. In fact, I wish I had had this book earlier in my Catholic upbringing. I want to give this book as a gift to many of my quote, church-going friends, unquote. So there you go, Father Sebastian. You have already made a difference in someone's life oh, with this great. book. Well, that's, that's one reason I'm hoping that uh, that it'll get to many hearts, because I do think that it's just the words of Jesus just explained more deeply, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. want Jesus to come to human hearts everywhere. So, Well, it came through in reading, and I certainly profited by it, but Let's start with the fact that you you lay out these three common objections to the truth of Scripture. What are those objections? And if you want, just give one rejoinder to one of them, if uh, for sure. time's sake. Yeah. So, uh, as, in my experience as a teacher, and when you're trying to to talk to people about the the Scriptures and in more in particular the Gospels, um, you find that um, a lot of people have three main objections. And and they're coming. They're young, especially young people today, coming from the modern culture. The first main objection is the scriptures contradict modern science. You know, like the opening chapters of Genesis, right. etc. The second is the scriptures contradict themselves. You find contradictory passages in scripture. The third is that the gospel writers or the authors of scripture in general were biased. They were kind of propagandists. They, you know, they had an agenda in mind, and they weren't giving us exactly what happened. They were writing a story to try and persuade people to join their religion, something like that. Sure. Um, um, <clears throat> all three of those merit some response, and I guess, I guess, if you want to know the response to all of them, you know, you can, you can look, you know, find my book and exactly, or find the response in some other place. But I want to address the last uh, accusation 
namely the fact that the authors of Scripture were somehow biased or weren't giving us, you know, um, an objective account of what happened. And in particular, the the accusation is made about the Gospels, the Gospel writers, huh? Mm-hmm. That they're giving us a kind of doctored-up version of Jesus, this sort of Superman, when in fact the, the real Jesus was just an ordinary person or something. Um, so let me say something about that. If you look at the um, the lies of the apostles, the, one of the things that comes out is that these are not educated, you know, um, doctorate level people. They're <laughs> they're not like Doctor Thaddeus here or something like that. They're <clears throat> these were ordinary men who came from you know very rural, ordinary places in the world, and, um, and simple yeah, in the best terms of of the, the of the word, just simple people. Exactly, they were simple people. Exactly, some of them even illiterate. It seems. Yeah. And um, obviously the ones that wrote the Gospels weren't illiterate, but they think that Mark's Gospel, for example, was um, was written at the dictation of Peter, because Peter himself maybe was not able to write completely, so who knows. But Mm -hmm. in any case, um, all of the apostles, save John, gave their life to testify that the things that they said were true. Peter, in in his epistles, first epistle, I believe, he ends up saying, look, um, we didn't concoct cleverly devised myths, right? We just told you the whole truth. This was an accusation that was being made even in the apostles' time, basically. So that's the first thing. It's unlikely that a whole group of just simple, uneducated men would just all carte blanche, just give their lives and die for the sake of a lie. Okay, that's the first thing. But there's actually an even more convincing reason, in my opinion, to hold that the Gospels are completely authentic. And that is... They contain all sorts of embarrassing details that you would never put into a book that was propaganda. Mm-hmm. For example, um, most of the times for the resurrection, the apostles don't even recognize Jesus at first. Now, that's not going to be really good press if you're trying to convince everyone that this man rose from the dead. Why on earth would you say, well, they had a hard time recognizing him? It even says in Matthew's Gospel that when they saw him, that they worshiped, but some were doubting. Even then, right, where they were facing Jesus, they were doubting that it was him. Um, And then you have um, the first witnesses of the resurrection were women, and some women of ill repute, to, to add. In the first century, women were not even considered worthy of being, uh, of giving testimony in a court case. And they would be your first witnesses. Right. And then you have the, the fact that the, the moral defects of the apostles are laid out in detail mm-hmm. throughout the Gospels. These are embarrassing details that, um, that would seem to mitigate against, you know, the, the veracity of what's going on there. And all that being said, that's not how you write propaganda. There's no way that that would just be a doctored-up account that would include all those embarrassing details. The reason why those accounts found their way into the Gospels is just because they're true. And the apostles are so humble that they were willing to admit their own failings and faults as part of the whole truth. They wanted to talk about just how they were sinners and how Jesus saved them from their sin. So, in any case, um, I think that the actual writings of the Gospels just don't allow for an interpretation of saying this is written by a bunch of propagandists who are who are trying to persuade you to join their religion. The Gospels definitely leave room for faith, that's for sure. Indeed. And so, Father Sebastian Walsh, the author of Secrets from Heaven, we've established that the Gospels are reliable. They're verifiable. So then, now I think that folds nicely into 
what I think is maybe the basic interpretive key for your whole book to understanding the Gospels, and that's where you that's that you say, one, we read the biblical text on its own terms, and two, we remember that the Bible reveals something important for our salvation. Talk about what you're what you're getting at there in those two ideas. Okay. Yeah. So the um, with regard to the the Bible, every word of Scripture is inspired by God, huh? And therefore, um, there's just as Jesus himself said, we're judged for every idle word. There won't be any idle words in Scripture. And therefore, every word of Scripture has meaning. And St. Thomas Aquinas goes on to say that um, the, the Scriptures, every word of Scripture is a participation in the eternal Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so there's an inexhaustible depth of meaning found in every word of Scripture. If you're reading the Scriptures and you think you've plumbed the depths and you understand it fully, you haven't. This is the Word of God, and so there's an inexhaustible richness. If there's anything I want to convince people of in having written this book, is that you can always come to the Scriptures and find a a deeper and more profound meaning there. You'll never exhaust the sacred Scriptures. So I guess that's the first thing I would say. Yes. And what was the second part of your question? I'm sorry. Um, the, the idea of taking the Bible on its own terms, and I think yeah. that starts to get into some of your, your actual toolbox that you introduced for us. Yeah, so it's really important not to go and impose a meaning on the text of Scripture. We're not there to figure out our own thoughts or to make the Scriptures a mirror of our own experiences. We're there to get divine revelation from God, saving truth from God. And so it's really important that when we go to the Scriptures, um, we're looking to see what the sacred author had in mind. Okay? So um, I... um, I have a chapter in the book that's dedicated to certain tools that are going to help you uncover more deeply those meanings. So, for example, um, definition. Yeah. You know, it's a simple thing, but when you go to a, the Scriptures, stop on every word and ask yourself, what does that word mean distinctly? So to give a simple example, there's a, there's a parable of the um, sower and the seeds. Huh? Mm-hmm. And um, and you should stop and ask yourself a question like, what is a seed? Or, and Jesus says that he scatters it on a path. Well, what's a path? Huh? You know, a, uh, a seed is the beginning of a living thing. And what a seed has the ability to do, a remarkable capacity, it can transform non-living matter into something living. It takes water and soil and then brings it into itself and turns it into a living plant, you know, mm. a living being. Mm. And in the same way, you say, okay, given now what a seed is, now I understand the analogy a little better. The Word of God transforms us, and we're in a way non-living. The reason why we're non-living like earth and water is because before the Word of God enters into us, we only have a human life. And compared to the divine life, that's not life at all. It's more like death. Mm. And therefore, the word, the seed of the word of God has this remarkable power, once it's planted in our hearts, to transform us from a merely human life into a divine life. And that, that deeper understanding of what happens with the word of God comes from just trying to understand what does the word seed mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or again, let's take the word path. A path is a place on the ground which people walk across, and and it's never a destination in itself. It's always a means to some other destination. It's always on the way to somewhere else. And not only that, because people walk there often, it gets hardened. Huh? 
Mm-hmm. So then go back to that parable about the, the sower and the seeds when he says that some of the seed fell on a path and the birds came and they just took it away. It never entered into the earth. Well, what does that mean about a human heart? What kind of human heart is a path? Well, a human heart that's a path is a human heart that's that's being used by others, walked upon by others, and is always a, a means to something else. It's not a destination, an end in itself. So we're talking about people who allow other people to use them and to walk all over them, so much so that their hearts become harder and harder and harder, and they cease to believe that they can be loved. They're not worthy of love anymore, they think. Oh. And, um, and so if we're not going to be a path we have to understand that God has made us as his own blessed children in his image and likeness, and, and he's destined us for eternal happiness. We have to see ourselves as an end and not merely a, you know, a means. We're a destination, right? Hmm. Not just something to be used. So, you know, those insights from understanding the, um, the, the meaning of Scripture just comes from trying to define the words. Yeah. There's one tool. Yeah, and it's, as you've talked to, um, I think what you're getting at too is people people could stop and look up a word in a, in a dictionary, but you're also saying think about the meaning of the word in sort of its um, it its context with the wider world. You know what? So yeah. you're bringing up what's the purpose of a path that it takes you from one place to another. Um, that yeah. that kind of a thing. Really stopping and pondering the the contextual meaning of of words yeah and and again this isn't something you necessarily need the dictionary for most right. of the passages in scripture are not about complicated things you know you don't have to look up some sort of chemical formula when you're mm-hmm. reading the scriptures you're mm-hmm. you're talking about things like seeds and paths everyone knows those words but not everyone stops or pauses to try and say more distinctly what do those words mean yeah so yeah so we're talking with father sebastian walsh a norbertine um, canon at uh, St. Michael's Abbey in Orange, California. He has just written a new book, Secrets from Heaven, Hidden Treasures of Faith in the Parables and Conversations of Jesus. And if you just tuned in to Red Sea Roundup, you're hearing him um, break apart, dig into some of these veins of uh, treasures in the Scriptures. And some of those other tools that you give us are coincidences, um, three or more parallels, strange or unique facts that point to deeper insights, things you expect to be said that are left unsaid. Um, You say, you know, learn some Greek or Hebrew, or, you know, read the notes in your your Bible and be attentive to the ones that talk about the Greek or the Hebrew being used. And sort of a, a prerequisite that I picked up on you mentioning kind of at the end of laying out those tools is prayer and an open heart. Okay. Yeah. We're going to come back to talk about those in a minute, but I wanted to point out that you also deploy these tools as flags for where in the scriptures to commence digging. Talk about that yeah. idea, if you would. Absolutely. Yeah. That comes originally from Saint Augustine. Saint Augustine says, whenever you find some something um, difficult or unique or something strange in scripture. Mm. He says that's exactly where you need to start digging to under, you know, to uncover the the most profound truths. Huh? Okay. Um, the uh, the scriptures know very well how the human heart works, and they know when 
Jesus says something or there's a passage in the scripture that strikes you as strange or unusual, and um, it's supposed to draw your attention to it, like you said, like a little flag or something like that. Yeah. So let me take let me take an example here. Sure, sure. Coincidences, huh? Coincidences. Uh, there's a, there's an old saying, the devil's in the details. I like to say about the scriptures, the spirits in the details. Yes, I, p- and, I picked up on that a few times. And so when you look at, for example, there's a passage in the Gospels about um, Jesus coming down from the mountain, Mount Tabor there after the transfiguration, and, and Jairus comes to him, the ruler of the local synagogue. Mm-hmm. He says, my daughter is, is a po- at the point of death. Come and heal her. So Jesus goes. And on the way, a woman with a hemorrhage comes, and she touches the hem of his garment. She's healed. In the meantime, the daughter dies, and Jesus goes, and he raises her from the dead. Um, When you read that passage, it mentions some details that are coincidences. You might think they're a coincidence. It says that the woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. It also mentions that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. Hmm. Now you hear that, and you say, huh. Is that just a random thing? You know, like, why do we need to know that? And again, the scriptures don't have idle words. So you go there and you look at that and you say, there's some kind of parallel that we need to have drawn between the woman and the daughter. Sure, sure. 12 years old and 12 years with the hemorrhage. And then you notice that Jesus calls the woman daughter. It's the only time in scripture, it's a unique event, Hmm. that Jesus calls someone daughter. And then you start to see the bigger picture. Jairus is the ruler of a local synagogue. The woman has a hemorrhage, which makes her ritually unclean. So Jairus, when you put A and B together, Jairus probably told that woman, sorry, you can't come into the synagogue. You're unclean. Wait until you're clean. For 12 years, Jairus had his daughter in his house, but he excluded God's daughter from God's house. And Jesus calls that attention, says, you're my daughter. And so it actually says in that passage, while he was speaking, the people came and said, your daughter is dead. So literally it goes like this. You would have heard this. Jesus says to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your daughter is dead. That's exactly what you would have heard. Mm. And Jairus now realizes, I'm not the only one with a daughter who needed healing. And suddenly it opens up the door for a new compassion in Jairus' heart. And how often do we deny to God's children the very things we want for ourselves? Yeah. We want forgiveness for ourselves, but we won't forgive others. You know, We want God to provide for us, but we don't see the needs of others and so forth. So when you pay attention to those coincidences or unique events, suddenly you see a whole new light of, of a deeper meaning of the passage. Yes, and I, gosh, that's so relevatory for being a parent, uh, what you just said that uh, constantly you you have to remind yourself that as you're uh, disciplining or raising your children and expecting certain things of them, um, you have to remember that you have your own sins and um, struggles and difficulties, and you want you want God to treat you with uh, yes. with mercy. And so right. you need to you know the measure you have to measure out the measure that you want to be measured by right do i have that That's right. correct i often say um we we all want mercy we want to receive mercy and give justice yes it would be better if we wanted to receive justice and gave mercy yes yes 
really the truth. So true. Um, so, gosh, that was wonderful. So, folks, you're getting a, a little preview of Father Sebastian Walsh's Secrets from Heaven, his um, toolbox for getting more out of your daily reading of the of the Gospels. If if reading the Scripture or the Gospels every day maybe has gone a little stale for you, or if it's something that you've stepped away from or never really wanted to try to do, um, this is a great book to pick up, read, and, and then jumpstart that that practice for yourself. Um, give us some more of your, your tools, or talk about some of the other parables sure. or conversations with Christ that you highlight in this book in our last uh, 10 minutes or so. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, another very important tool is where you expect Jesus to say something, and he doesn't say it. Yeah, I like that one. That was a neat insight. Uh, when uh, I'll give two examples. One I'll take from the parable about— there's another parable about uh, sowers and seeds and things like that, where there's um, a man sows a field, and he has his servants put in good wheat, mm-hmm. and then an enemy comes at night and throws in the weeds, and then um, the—, the um, the servants go to the master, should we pull up the weeds now? And he says, no, don't do that. You might pull up the wheat with them. Right. Let's wait until harvest time, and then we'll pull them up together, and then we'll throw the weeds into the furnace, and the wheat will gather into my barn. And then Jesus goes and explains the whole parable. And uh, he says that the uh, the seeds are the, the good people, and then the weeds are the evil ones. The field is the world, and the weeds are sown by the devil, and the, the, the good ones are sown by God. And um, and then at the end, the harvesters are the angels, and they're going to pull them up, and they'll put the wheat into heaven, the, the the barn of God, so to speak, and they'll put the weeds into the furnace, into hell. Huh? Yeah. And um, Jesus never explains what on earth did he mean by don't pull them up now, lest you pull up the wheat with the weeds. Now, given his explanation, that is a mystifying passage. Hmm. Is Jesus saying that the angels, they, they're going to go out there, and they're going to take some bad person and then mistake a good person with a bad person and pick them both up and throw them in hell? Is that what he's saying? Mm. It, um, it's, it doesn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's bad theology. Mm. And um, so that gives you a reason to stop and ponder. Why on earth would Jesus just leave that silent? And what, what does he mean by that? Well, when you start thinking about it, the, there's a special kind of wheat we're talking about. The wheat that Jesus is talking about is not the sort of thing that always stays wheat or a weed that always stays a weed. The truth of the matter is, he's talking about us. And we start out as weeds right. from original sin, and then we're baptized, and then we're wheat. But a lot of us spend our life oscillating between being weeds and wheat. You know, we have to go to confession if we sin we become weed again, but then we might fall into serious sin. We become weeds again, huh? So in light of that, we understand, oh, if there were a world in which every time someone committed a serious sin, God sent an angel down to smite that person, there would be very few wheat left. True. Very true. And so what that part of the... I would have been finished a long time ago. I would have been... Exactly right, right. Pulled up a long time ago. So um, when... um, what Jesus is saying there is, we don't pull up the weeds because that weed with a little more patience from God and a little more time might just convert and become a wheat. And we don't want that wheat to be pulled up when we pull up the weed. Right, right. And um, so suddenly you, you see a deeper meaning there, and, and you realize 
Why is it that God lets the wicked flourish in the world? The same reason he's patient with my sins and your sins, to give us time to repent. And then suddenly it becomes like, oh, this isn't just about you know all the bad people in the world. It's also about me. Yeah. And, and the Lord's being patient with me, just like he's being patient with those other people who, who are doing bad things in the world. Huh? So there's one passage. Another yeah. place... Can, where, I, can I ask you for oh, just yeah. a quick... So Absolutely. is it is it fair to say that um, that's a, there's a both-and kind of a meaning there? Because he does yes. specifically say that the, that the field is the world, but you're, yes. what you're also saying is that it, there's also this interpretation or meaning of it being my heart or my soul, the field. Is that, is that correct? I guess you could say something like that, that there's, that you, that my heart can go from being the, the field that has weeds in it or wheat in it. Um, I guess what I would say is that even if you don't take that particular tact and you keep the field just as being the world, you could yeah. say, well, the, the very same weed can be a wheat or vice versa, right. even if you just take the weed and the weed is referring to individual souls. Right, and I'm one so, of those wheat, wheat or yeah, weeds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're, we can be both, I guess, is the point there. So yes, what doesn't happen to natural weeds and wheat does happen with us. Yes. You know? So well, well um, very good. We have about a uh, little under seven minutes. Okay, let me say something really quickly about the parable of the prodigal son. Okay. Um, in the parable of the prodigal son, you know it well, but I'll get to the one point I want to make. The son, when he finally repents, he says, I'll go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven in your sight. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. That's the second thing. Make me as one of your hired servants. That's the third thing. He intends to say three things to his father because he thinks he's convinced his father doesn't want him back. Right. So he gets up with his argument in hand like a lawyer. He goes back to his father. He throws himself down. And he says, Father, I sinned against heaven and in your sight, number one. I'm not now worthy to be called your son, number two. Mm-hmm. He never says the third thing. Mm. Now, that's unusual. Yeah. He, he intended to say three things. And in the parable Jesus gives, he stops at the second. Well, what am I supposed to infer from that? I think you infer from that that the father interrupts him. Hmm. The father was happy to hear his son confess that he had sinned, because that was good for his son. His son needed to admit his sin and confess his sin. But as soon as he heard his son say, I am not now worthy to be called your son, that was not the truth. Right. And the father cuts him off there. Enough, the father's basically saying, that's not true. You are my son. You will always be worthy to be my son. And that's how God, our Father, looks at us. You know, when we sin, I think so often we want to come back to God as a slave. But our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, did not die to purchase slaves. He died to purchase his brothers and sisters back, Mm -hmm. to purchase children for his heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And that, that little silence, that pregnant silence, reveals all that. God does not think it's true. Those words that we hear in our heart are from the devil, not from the Lord, when we think, I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's not the truth. We're always worthy from the moment of our baptism to be sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, no matter what we've done when we've sinned. And that little silence, I think, uncovers all of that, something very beautiful in that parable. Yes, I had never noticed that before until I uh, read your book, that he didn't, didn't finish with his list um, such a such a great insight. This has uh, been an interview with 
Father Sebastian Walsh, the author of Secrets of Heaven. It's uh, subtitled Hidden Treasures of Faith in the Parables and Conversations of Jesus. It's available at shop.catholic.com. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, wherever uh, fine books are sold. Uh, with our last four minutes, uh, Father Walsh, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about a wonderful resource that the Norbertines at St. Michael's have given to Catholics, and that is this online, uh, the Abbot's Circle. Yeah. So I want you to tell us about it and how people can use it. Um, but first, you have to explain the difference between an abbot and a prior. <laughs> okay, the word abbot comes from the word father. Okay, so the abbot is going to be the father, the spiritual father of the community, and he's he's um he's in charge of a whole abbey. An abbey is a um is a community of priests and religious of monks together or canons together, which is self-sustaining and and in some way kind of able to be its own father of other communities, okay? Mm-hmm. So you've got this abbey, and the head of it is an abbot. The prior is the first in command. He would be like the prime minister would be to the king or something like that. Uh-huh. And if you had a, a a community where it wasn't all the way the level of an abbey, then its head would be called the prior. But the, okay. the prior is usually the second in command, but in, a, in an abbey, and the first would be the abbot. Okay. So, and you all have right? both. You have an abbot and you have we a do. prior. We do. We have wonderful, wonderful abbot and a wonderful prior. So, okay. So um, now tell us about what's the abbot circle and how can people use it? Great. So the abbot circle is basically an on, online resource. We had so many people who were saying, um, we're really grateful for all the things that your Norbertines are doing out in the parishes, your teaching, your retreats, and things like that. But there's a limited number of people that can get those things because we're, we are limited and we can just go from one place to another. So the idea was, let's put that content online. Mm-hmm. Talks by Norbertines, retreats by Norbertines, um, you know, different series of videos and, and things like that, homilies and things like that. Yes. So all those things are now available online in this, what's called the Abbot's Circle. Um, and what you do is you can go to the uh, St. Michael's Abbey website, mm-hmm. and then it's got a little button to push like Abbot's Circle. Mm-hmm. And in order to join the Abbot's Circle, all you have to do is agree to donate something. There's no set, you know, there's no set fee or anything like that. It's just add, you know, your own free will offering, basically, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. And then you can become a member of the Abbot's Circle. Mm-hmm. And then you have access to this all this online content. Uh, for example, uh, I recorded a whole series of, I think it's 21 videos on marriage and family. Each of the videos range from 5 to about 10 minutes on marriage and family. And all that is now accessible. Um, there's, there's, I think, maybe even hundreds of videos. They're very high-quality yes. Yes, um, productions. When you look and, at them, you realize this is really well done. And what is the what is the City of Saints um, series? That, that looks yeah, intriguing. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. That's really beautiful. That's really high quality. And basically, it's stories of personal interactions with our Norbertine priests with people um, that we've come into contact with that just show the the miraculous workings of God in people's lives. Wow. So it's it's kind of like um, our sharing our own really beautiful experiences of God's people. Um, and done in a very beautiful documentary um, video format. Yes, yes. And uh, I think I think you had a really nice um, reflection that you didn't you write it on the on the pandemic and giving giving thanks to God for for mitigating things. 
I think that was by yeah, you. Yeah, okay, that wasn't by me. I think it that wasn't. was by the prior. I think that was Father Chrysostom that yes, wrote that. Yes, it was. It was Father Chrysostom. Yes. I think it was Father Chrysostom who did that. Yeah, it was very, yeah, very beautiful. Very yeah, good reading. Was, it was part of a, I think that was in part a homily he gave at the Abbey, and then he modified it to be a kind of a text for the Abbot's Circle. So, okay. okay. A lot of encouraging, hopeful things. Right? Yes, really indeed. Encouraging, hopeful things there. So check that out at theabbotcircle.com and uh, pick up Father Sebastian's new book, Secrets from Heaven, Hidden Treasures of Faith in the Parables and Conversations of Jesus. And if you will become a, or already are, a monthly donor to Red Sea Catholic Radio, part of the Immaculata Recurring Gift Society, you're also going to get an extra 15 minutes of conversation that Father Walsh and I are going to continue um, after we sign off the air here. But uh, Father, in the last 30 seconds, could you send us out with your final blessing for all of our listeners? Absolutely. Perentrucessionum Beata Maria Virginis, et omnum sanctorum, benedictio de omnipotentis, patris, et fili et spiritus sancti, descendat super vos, et maniat semper. Amen. Amen. And you have been listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio, and remember, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. We'll see you next time. Talking.